There are a number of myths that need to be debunked about publishing in Africa. The first one is that Africans don't have much to share with the world. That has actually been told to my face. I say, well, you know, um, you know, it, it's it's a good thing and Christianity is growing in Africa, but Christianity is a mile wide but an inch deep. So there's nothing really that you can get out of the continent of Africa. That's a myth. That's a myth. Every person that has an encounter with Christ um, has a story to tell and has something that they can share. And so to that extent, it's a myth. The question is, what are we looking for? If what we are looking for is a treatise, you know, a 500-page treatise on, I don't know, atonement, you're not going to find that out of the average, you know, Wanjiko, um, as one would call, call her the average lady on the street. No, you won't find that. But it is also true that you won't find that even in the most Christianized Western countries that where people would then argue that that is where it is Christianity is deep. Um, and so and so the, it's a myth. I think I think everywhere where people have an encounter with Christ, we must begin to have the right perspective of the workings of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is not limited and he, he's not even limited by words and terms. Um, he can give a, such a deep experience of Christ to people that when, when such a person opens their mouth, what they speak um, because of their encounter with Christ and with scripture, uh, what they speak becomes life-giving in a very uh, orthodox, to use it, uh, uh, you know, as it is normally used, in a very right doctrine kind of way. And we've seen, there are many examples of that. Uh, one of the things I've, I enjoy every once in a while is to read, is to read uh, the words, the lyrics of hymns that have been written uh, here. You know, there are certain denominations that we've, uh, I grew up calling cults, you know, because they wear funny clothes and they sing funny songs and they, you know, kind of chant and run on the street and they worship under a, um, a tree. But uh, thankfully, their hymns have actually been put together and written in books, hundreds of them. And now one can even find them in, uh, in, uh, in, in apps on, on the phone. So I enjoy reading those. And I've read a number of those and found, you know, you know true, deep, Trinitarian, Orthodox theology inside that but told in a narrative form. Amazing things, you know, just read in there. Um, and, and, and so, and, and it is true, you know, I've, I've read, uh, you know, some poems and songs from, uh, from an old lady who would compose songs uh, in Ghana. Same thing, you know, read into that and you see a very deep contextual um, explanation of, of who Christ is. And so, so that's, that's one myth. Another myth is that, um, well, Africans uh, Africans are not able to uh, to to write well. I think it's a myth because, given given the context, it is surprising that <laughs> that we can even write in English or Swahili for that matter. 
because many people for many for many Africans English is usually a third fourth fifth or sixth language so that means that if English is a fourth language like it is for me the fact that I can communicate somehow intelligibly is a fit in and of itself. So I think we need to give Africans much more credit uh, for, for their being able to be uh, multilingual and be able to, uh, to communicate in some shape or form. Now it is true, uh, African English is affected, uh, or as a friend of mine says, is mediated by some of the languages that we have spoken before. So for my own speaking of English, you know, the L's and the R's will have you know, problems. Sometimes uh, my word order will be affected by the way my Bantu, you know, verb, subject kind of arrangements. Um, and, but, but that having been said, uh, I think Africans can write and they can communicate. Um, what, and, and, and in the midst of that, I think one of the other criticisms or myths is that Africans you know, don't, cannot communicate you know, heavy concepts or big concepts um, that have to do with you know, big theological concepts. And again, you know, the, that, that is a myth because uh, you know, every, every culture comes in with its own language and its own way of communicating you know, deep, deep concepts. And, and using, you know, languages in Africa, for example, are what are called high context languages, that the words depend very much in the space that they, has, they are said. Um, so, so that, you know, even, even when you read the Bible in African language, like in my, in my language, Kiembu, when, when you read it, if you take one word out of its context and read it, it could mean one, two, three, four different things. But when you put it in its context, then you now understand that this is what you know that uh, that, that that word means. For example, um, you know, if one were to say, you know, uh, the, the word uh, uma, which is to you know come out, uh, or uh, oma, which is be strong, or oma, which is grandfather, uh, or oma, which is true, truth. Four different words written in the same way, just one word. And so the context, you know, defines that. And so one could arrange words and say something in Kiembu or Kikuyu or, you know, Kiluya, Luo, uh, and communicate a very deep concept in a saying that just uses three words. And, and uh, I think because of that, someone who's coming and learning the language from outside uh, as an outsider, might not be able to grasp the depth. Um, a, a song that comes to mind, for example, is a very popular song in, in Kenya, actually East Africa, let me say, uh, Kunadawa. Kuna, we all know that song, Kunadawa, Kunadawa. And, and uh, listen to that song, the, 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 word, the song means, you know, there, there is medicine or there is, there is a balm or, you know, there's, a, there's, there's something that can heal. But when you look through the, the verses of that song, um, the singer uh, applies that song uh, to, you know, the concrete circumstances of one's life. 
in terms of healing, you know, in terms of prosperity and so on. But then takes that con- concept and, and says that that healing that one finds is Christ. And because of that, there's a missional imperative for all of us to go. Now, you know, she doesn't put those words. I'm using those, I'm saying that as a theologian. But listen to the song. The song is about three and a half minutes. But in one song, she has managed to talk to people from where they are and then to challenge to challenge them to receive Christ and to challenge those who know Christ to go and speak out the gospel and become missionaries. One song. That song was so popular, it is played everywhere. We sing it in church. It's played in, you know, secular spaces. It's, it's played, it's put in DJ mixes. It is played in weddings. Uh, it is even played in, you know, in, uh, in places where people you wouldn't uh, don't, uh, associate with, uh, with Christian. Uh, behavior, you know, in pubs and, <laughs> you know, in discos and so on. And and generally, they tend to, if I am told that they used to play, you know, that song, you know, right at the end of the night, you know, 3 a.m. when people are supposed to be going, <laughs> that's the time they play that song, Kunadawa. Uh, so, so that's theology right there. And it's a deep, you know, deep engagement with, with the person and the work of Christ in our lives in a very concrete way. That's another, that's another myth. I think in terms of publishing, uh, a couple of, of, of quick thoughts. I think one, um, that, that uh, there's, there's no need to publish uh, in Africa because there's, there's no need to publish theological material in Africa because there's enough good material coming from other places anyway. Then um, that myth plays itself out in different ways. You know, there are people who actually outrightly say, well, if I had the money, uh, I would you know, find books in the West that Africans need and then bring them in because, you know, they just don't have enough uh, where, where they are. And, you know, they, that, that might be true. But I think it's a myth because um, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. The, the, you know, the continent within Africa, the African continent um, does have certain constraints. And one of those is resources, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, machinery, uh, finances, uh, the the publishing infrastructure and by publishing infrastructure I'm talking about even the editorial industry. There's an editorial industry in the in the global uh, in the global north, and and that that is missing is missing here for practical purposes. Our pub- publishing uh, history is very short, and you know English and French or Spanish, Portuguese. We've only been speaking those languages for a hundred years, really. In fact, if at all, for, for many um, families, you know, I would say I'm a second generation English speaker. Uh, my grandfather didn't speak English and, you know, couldn't hear it. At all, well, maybe he could hear one or two words, but he didn't speak it and couldn't read it. So, and my grandmother, same thing. So in terms of, uh, of, 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 of that myth, I think... The, you know, Africa can publish and, and is publishing, you know, their churches publishing their own material, their pastors. Yes, some of them, are, you know, have questionable material, but nevertheless, we cannot assume that uh, all material that was published, even in the global north, was orthodox, you know, right-thinking Christianity. Um, you know, there are embarrassing uh, things that you can find out uh, if one went and you can find, you know, materials and um pamphlets and tracts that were published uh, of very questionable theology. Um, and that, 
that just attends the whole process of, of publishing and it kind of refines itself. And even up to today that, you know, these things are happening. So, and then a, a, a last myth that I would want to say is that uh, publishing in Africa, particularly the uh, of the academic theological kind, cannot, uh, cannot be sustainable. I think that myth needs a nuanced reflection. And I'm going to say that because uh, publishing in Africa can be sustainable. It's just that I think we've been doing it wrong. And one of the things that we we, we, we reflected upon as uh, Africa Theological Network Press is the question of um, how can we leverage what we have as Africans to be able to uh, do publishing sustainably. Pu publishing requires resources of all kinds, you know, editorial, money, machinery, infrastructure, and even, you know, a wider pool of people who, uh, a wider audience who can buy uh, the material. And so, um, one of the things that uh, we ended up coming, uh, thinking about and, and, uh, and coming to terms with is that if publishing in Africa, particularly for niche publishing, such as theological academic publishing, which is a very small, you know, very small slice of the publishing market, uh, is that we need to do it together. Africans are known for community and Ubuntu, uh, personhood that is, that is a shared humanity together. I think if we did that with publishing, the way we do it with our lives, the way we do it with our families, the way we do it with our businesses, the way we do it with our churches, uh, then, then it can be and will be sustainable. And, and so Africa Theological Network Press is one such initiative. I don't know very many, but I do know people who work together. I know that, for example, you know, Acton Publishers you know, partner with a lot of um, organizations so that they can be able to make books uh, to, to publish theological academic books. Same thing with, uh, with the Regnum Africa, which is based out of Ghana. Uh, again, they also network and they network with partners on the continent and off the continent uh, and theological institutions as well. And I think that's, that's the approach of the future, working together and collaborating.